Welcome to Hunt Harvest Health Podcast with your host, Ryan Lampers, aka The Stealthy Hunter. Howdy. And myself, Dr. Hillary Lampers, where we share our love for ancestral living and the health topics of the modern age. Ryan is the well rounded, bearded brawn of Hunt Harvest Health. His knowledge of backcountry adventure, western hunting, and our household status as garden guru and super dad really defines our gut stealthy lifestyle. Doc Hillary is definitely the brains and beauty behind all of this. She kind of makes everything happen as I have zero technical skills. Hill is just a wealth of knowledge in all things medicine and nutrition, which not only keep our family healthy, but they help me stay strong in all my mountain adventures. You can follow us at huntharvesthealth.com, Instagram, and Facebook for more podcasts, recipes, and stories. All right, let's do this. Well, hello and welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast. I am Dr. Hillary Lampers, as you all should know by now. And who's my co-host? This is Ryan. <laughs> Sitting right Podcaster next to extraordinaire. I feel like we have like, in the land of podcasts lately, we've had been in so many podcasts. I listened to you today on Avery's podcast. And last week, it was the Cody Rich. Was We were both on there, so that was fun. Gardening season is coming, and everybody wants to talk gardening and food this time of year. I know. It's good stuff. I love yeah. it. So we, if you haven't gone and listened to those two podcasts on those two awesome podcast formats with Cody Rich and um, the Avery's yeah. from Rockslide. It, pretty it's fortunate a, to be on those. I, I really like... Uh, well, obviously, who doesn't like Cody Rich's podcast? They're yeah. really, really good. And uh, he's been doing them for a long time. And, um, man, Avery at Adventures, those guys, um, they've, they've kicking out some really good podcasts. And mm-hmm. So, I, uh, yeah, he's he's one of my stations I was that I listen to all the time. I was kind of sad I didn't get to be in it. But we, so the podcast that you're going to hear today is actually uh, one of the people that we interviewed on our Montana trip. And on our way to Montana, is when we stopped in Post Falls, Spokane area, um, because <laughs> the weather was horrible and we got there late. We were supposed to podcast sooner. And just by the time we got there and got a hotel and there was no way that I could leave the kids and the crazy dog in the hotel room while we podcasted. Yeah, so I got to go hang with the Averys all by myself. And it was really cool. It was fun. A yeah. blast getting to know those guys better. Yeah, so I was kind of bummed I didn't get to be on there with you, but it was a great podcast, and um, it's just so fun to keep meeting people in the industry and seeing really how well-rounded people are, you know? I mean, obviously, in the hunting circle, uh, I mean, there's a lot of hunting talk, and, you know, with these podcasts, people talk about that, but it's fun to sit down and talk with people about other interests that they have, and uh, it's just, just fun to meet people, so... Yeah, and again, I already knew how like cool and interesting the hunting community guys are. Yeah. Uh, this is all new to you. <laughs> I've, I've known everybody's cool for a while, but yeah, uh, yeah you're finally seeing the light new. a little bit. Okay, so we were lucky enough to uh, get to go to Jana Waller and Jim Kinsey's house in uh, there in Missoula, and wow, what a place! 
No I, kidding. I it's, a dream, it's a dream stop. I mean, to go in there and you see it, <laughs> all those mounts everywhere, it's awesome. I loved it. It was, uh, it was super cool to kind of hear the stories about a lot of the different hunts I've been on. and <clears throat> Yeah, it was really fun. We got to listen to uh, a lot of the stories about different critters, and yeah, it was super cool. Yeah, I think when you walk in, so one of the first things I said, you know, Jana, we're going to be coming through Missoula and we've kind of been wanting to podcast together for since we met about a year ago. And she she responded back. Yes, I'd love that. But just FYI, like I have a lot of mounts in my house because she knows her and I have had many conversations, you know, cause I don't hunt and just my background. And, um, I think she was kind of giving me that pre-warning thing. And I said, Oh, that's cool. Don't worry about it. And when you get there and you see it, um, you know, I, I think sometimes you go, it's like a museum. You're just like, Whoa. But I think there's something about her and obviously Jim and what they do for a living and what they really love. And, it just really fits their personality. It, oh, it's, yeah, for sure. it's I'm I have to say one of the coolest things that I think about them is that they are so alike in what they love to do that it just fits. So when you walk in, you know, and you just see like their lifestyle and not only that, they have traveled around the world. I mean, I f- I left that night like I told Ryan, "Oh my gosh, I need to live more life," right? Like They've been everywhere and done everything. And we're not just talking hunting, you know. I think that's their platform, so you see a lot of that. But, you know, hunting, fishing, traveling, going and and, um, learning about cultures and, you know, going to Africa and plenty of trips not hunting in Africa, just going there, you know, Europe. um, Yeah, they've got stories galore. South Africa. You can just sit and talk about they can look at ahead and tell you a story about it, but then they'll talk about the other things, the other aspects of where they were and all that. It's it's pretty cool. And yeah, you're right. I mean, it is. It fits them to a T. Uh, that house that they're in because they really, really love what they're doing, and they love uh, love those hunts and love the animals. And it's truly uh, truly fits them really well. Yeah. So I got. To, I was lucky enough because we had the kiddos, and so Jim and Ryan were gracious enough to take the kiddos and entertain them for like almost two hours while me and Janice sat on we the got, couch. We got locked in a room yeah. and it was, uh, it was not bad. We got to listen yeah. to a bunch of cool music. Yeah, Jim's the a kiddos, great artist. The kiddos were having a blast. It was just nice yeah. fun. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see that I've got a lot of pictures um, prior to this podcast of Gianna. Obviously, most of those pictures Jim took, and there's some pictures of them together. And he's a great photographer, a great film filmmaker, and 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 um, so she's got a lot of awesome pictures of herself because she's got somebody just constantly taking you know really high quality great photos and editing them. So when I was compiling pictures, I was like, "Geez, that's a good one. That's a good one. I don't know which one to pick." So. Um, They've done a whole lot. And in this podcast, me and Jenna talk a lot about women and we talk about women in the industry. We talk about the perception, cultural perception of women. I was not invited in this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we talk about the things that she loves, you know, outside of hunting, um, some of the interests that her and I have that are similar. Uh, and she does talk a lot about the current perception of women in the industry and uh, social media, 
and just things that she's observing um, with, within that. And so we had a great conversation about that. We had, I mean, we pretty much talked about a bunch of stuff related to um, the ladies, but she's, um, you know, she is really true and true who she is. And that's what I respect about her because I would say that, you know, in another world, we would be very different. But when I've come to know her, we're really not that different. She's just, she just does this other thing that, that I haven't done. And she's very, very, very passionate about it. And she's not backing down. Uh, one thing I will say is that uh, women, <laughs> she's taken a whole heck of a lot of abuse in her career from, you know, uh, people who don't understand it. And she has an amazing attitude and she just keeps forging forward. Uh, she works a lot with uh, veterans, especially amputees. She has a lot of them on her show. Oh, and we can't forget to mention her show, Schoolbound TV. So Janet is really an artist and that's where a lot of her love for, uh, that's where her show kind of comes from, Schoolbound. She beads uh, skulls, obviously, you would know that, but uh, they're beautiful. Her artwork is really amazing, and so she has an eye for detail, and it's kind of funny. One of the last things we talk about in this podcast is her kitchen cabinet knobs, and there is a picture on the video of her knobs that I took, and it's a cute little story about her and our older daughter and the conversation they had about her kitchen cabinet knobs when... Like I said, if you go into her house, the last thing you would ever notice are her kitchen cabinet knobs, but our daughter did, and so it ensued a pretty cute conversation. Um, but I just really respect her. Uh, I consider her a good friend, and I think that she's somebody who has really done a lot for women in showing that women can also really enjoy the outdoors and be good at what they do and have a great respect for um, the hunting and conservation culture, so... Anything else? Man, you covered it. Okay. So enjoy this podcast with Jenna Wall um, Waller. You can find her, obviously, at Schoolbound TV on Instagram and Facebook. All right. Enjoy. Okay. We finally made it. <laughs> Here we are. It's been almost a year in the making, really. You've yeah. been on the podcast one time yep. with Christy yep. when we were all in Oregon. Yeah. Uh, but I think I met you... Last year at the BHA Rendezvous here in Missoula. Yep, that's correct. And I had no clue who you were, <laughs> which is probably why you talked that's to okay. me That's okay. I had no long. clue who you were. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? It's like, you're right. I had no clue who you were either. It's like when you when you meet celebrities, you don't know are celebrities, mm-hmm. right? Because you're so... Well, that's a funny term, first of all. I know, I've never been comfortable with that term. I think it's really funny, but you know, everything's relative, you yeah. know, but in the hunting world, yeah, people, people might know who I am, but in the real world, uh, no. Not very often. <laughs> right. Well, in the hunting community, in the outdoor community, uh, people, people obviously know who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Jana Waller of Schoolbound TV. And I met you here at a dinner one night with yeah. some mutual friends. And we just hit it off talking because we were the only girls there, I think, yeah. at the table. There was one other gal, um, I think the Onyx Hunt guy's wife. Oh, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was on the other end of the table. Yeah, so Matt's we ended wife, up, yeah. Yeah, we started talking and just hit it off. And then when we left a couple hours later, Ryan says, you know who that was, right? <laughs> no? 
that's Jana Waller. She's like one of the top women hunters in the world. <laughs> oh, geez. And I don't I said, know about that. Wow, really? Yeah, she has a TV show. Oh, wow. <laughs> I said, yeah, well, she does like hunting. You know, we talked about hunting and stuff. Yeah. So that was really cool. Well, it was a but, great conversation because I have so much fun talking um, to people who maybe have a little bit different perspective on things, you know. And it's funny, even you and I talking earlier today, you forget sometimes that maybe that people didn't grow a grow up the way you did, mm-hmm. or were not in the same like, you know, with hunting. For example, I grew up in a hunting household. I grew up with a dad who you saw that I was so interested in nature and sort of fostered that and took me along into the you know duck blinds and pheasant fields when I was a kid. And so it was it was it was just something that I grew up with. So it was natural, and you know having. And it's not just hunting. Then, you know, in, in most hunters' homes, there's taxidermy yeah. or hides. or And you and I, that night, that night we met, we talked about it. And it was such a fascinating conversation because, you know, I coming from a place, if you look right now, we're sitting here on my couch in my living room and I can count one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, probably 20 heads. Uh, you can't even count that fast. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's what I am. It's it's yeah. what we love. And I've chose to decorate my house with my memories. But it was, we had such a great conversation that first night we met because, you know, you didn't quite get why people do that. But you being such a delight to talk to and so incredibly intelligent and you coming from a place of health, which has always been a great topic for me. It was my minor in college. You know, I graduated back in, oh Lord, 1993, but I I had a minor in health just because it's always been fascinating to me. I've always been into fitness and health. And so we talked a bit about that and, you know, herbs and, 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 uh, homeopathic, you know, uh, types of remedies. And so it was like, it was one of the most fun conversations I'd had in a really long time. And I left, I bet you both of us walked away from that evening going, wow, you know, that was a really neat happen chance yeah. dinner because we didn't know we were going to meet and, you know, we've developed a friendship, but from both, you know, different, different, persp- some same, some different perspectives, but I cherish my women friends and we're able to share those kind of things with each other. What was really, what really struck me that night about the talk that we had is, you know, it w- you know, sometimes you meet people and it's, like having a conversation is like you, oh, you're, you're trying to make conversation. And I always know when I met somebody, this is, you just have a great conversation with, and it's intellectual. It's, it's um, like, yeah, it's an intelligent conversation. You like the same things. You laugh at each other's jokes, you know, <laughs> all those silly things. And that you, it's kind of rare to always meet people like that. And I'm sure for you, you meet so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, all year round, you know, uh, you know, you probably have great relationships with a lot of people. But for me, I was like, I really have kind of a very small group of girlfriends, probably like you do that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I just really like Jana, like I told her, she's just so cool. She's so (laughs) not, you know, me and her are so different, but we're really not that different. And it's just, I just don't hunt. That's the only real difference. And we had so many common things that we liked. Right. And I do think health kind of brings people together. Like if you have an interest in health or um, like I used to be a massage therapist, you were talking about, you know, Reiki Reiki, and all these things. And um, sometimes I guess we stereotype and think oh she's a hunter and she knows what reiki is and, yeah but it comes to show you that um i i really like well-rounded people mm-hmm. so even though i don't hunt obviously i live with a hunter 
Um, and so I like people that are able to really, what I liked about you was you can very well articulate what it is about this lifestyle that is really vital for you. Mm -hmm. And that in turn helps me understand something that I don't understand. Like I couldn't understand even coming from my husband. Right. But as a female, you telling me the things and the reasons that you loved hunting and what you cherish about it. It just really kind of started my process too and opening my eyes to this. Yeah. Um, and really like being in your home here, if I didn't know you <laughs> in the past, I'd be like, this place is like a mausoleum, <laughs> right? But the interesting thing is that I know you and right. I really know your heart and mm-hmm. I know that you love this and you cherish these animals and you just love telling their stories. Yeah. So it just seems totally different. Yeah. So I think I think getting to know somebody is really the key. Yeah. And sometimes you don't like everybody you meet and you don't connect with everybody you meet. That's just human nature. <laughs> but that's that's how I feel about like even being in your home. It's like, well, this is totally you. And it's in it's a it's intriguing to hear the stories and yeah. uh, you know, my kids are just enamored. <laughs> like my little one is just like <laughs> scared you know and then like whoa and it's uh but but because we know you it just makes it that much more special yeah and i think i think that that's really the key to understanding somebody is to open your mind to things that maybe you don't totally understand or you wouldn't do but you can really kind of see where they were coming from i was just gonna say that i think so too like i i actually have a wide variety of um women friends some hunt some don't some are really into fitness, whether it be CrossFit or yoga or whatever, and some don't. And I just, I love, I love women who are a non-judgmental. I, and I'm not talking about hunting; I'm talking about everything in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that are have an open mind, that are intelligent, and that can appreciate other people's perspectives. For example, my college roommate, we lived together one year. She at the time was pretty much vegetarian and has since become, I think she's pretty almost vegan lifestyle. And it sounds kind of silly to say it like that, but I I don't live with, I haven't, I haven't talked to her one-on-one. I haven't gone out to eat with her in a long time. She still lives in Wisconsin, but a roommate of mine, very different, but still we respect each other. Like we, we understand each other's positions. Um, She knowing I'm a big hunter and that I, you know, if you opened up my freezer right now in there, I have antelope, mule deer, whitetail, moose, uh, bear, elk, you name it, you know, trout, pheasant. And I really like women who um, are different and can bring unique perspectives um, and are open-minded. What So non-judgmental. And I have friends from high school and college that do not hunt, but love following along on my adventures. Um, I think one of the most unattractive qualities in a person, male or female, is... Uh, someone who's so egotistical that their point is the only point. So I really appreciate all different kinds of people. Now, of course, I gravitate towards, you know, women who are passionate hunters like myself, you know, that like live to hunt and hunt to live, whether or not they had a show or whether they're not, they, even if they, you know, didn't care about social media at all, that they wouldn't be, they wouldn't change a thing. Right. And Jim and I were just talking about this the other day, like, as blessed as we are to have Skullbound TV and to live our, our dream jobs, there's days we fantasize about no social media and not having to carry cameras. And, 
you know, he's working on my elk show right now, my archery elk show from Montana. And I'll tell you, it's the most difficult but awesome hunt to film because archery elk hunting is a dance. You know, it's a symphony. You're everything's got to go right. The winds have to go right. You're, you know, hearing a bugle in the distance, you're throwing bugles back, when to cow call, when not to call call, you know, movement. And to have two people out there and when it, when we're out there and it's a two man band and we're filming Jim, who's my boyfriend, partner, crime too, wants so bad for me to get an elk. So he's concentrating on, you know, trying to call for me because Trust me when I say he's a much, I can call, but not as good as he can. (laughs) Might as well use, you know, the expert in the group. And that's definitely him. You know, and he's trying to sometimes, like when I did kill my bull this year, he got the shot, the kill shot on camera. But as the bull rant runs off, he left the camera on the tripod and he's trying to range for me because I could get a second shot off, which is a rare opportunity, which I did. I ended up getting a, a great second shot off, but not on film. But that's because he cared so much about forgetting he's a cameraman, his job, and he's passionately thinking about, I want my girl to get her bull, you know? And, um, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked there a little bit. But no, it all comes back to, I, I gravitate towards people who are passionate. I don't care what that passion is. If you're passionate um, about it and can explain to me why you're passionate, whether you're you know, a vegan, whether you're you know, into bodybuilding, what, whatever your passion is, if you can explain to me that passion in your heart, I'm going to respect that. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I think this is a big piece of just human nature too is – it's difficult to do that. It's, I mean, it's difficult sometimes for people to look beyond their own um, subjective Mm -hmm. uh, beliefs and objectively look at what it, what is it that is really going on for this other person. Right. Right. And uh, I think the having that quality is really important because it allows you, I think one to be confident with who you are Mm -hmm. because you know, you, you, you don't, you don't have to feel like you have to defend your lifestyle right. and you can be openly open to other people's lifestyles, but still really know who you are inside. And I feel sometimes when people get super defensive about, you know, I guess you're going to get attacked for everything, especially in this sport. This oh, yeah. is like, oh yeah. Or maybe I shouldn't call it a sport in this lifestyle. Right. You're going to get attacked for sure. Brutally. Cause it's, it's different. Yep. Right. And a small minority of the population does it anymore. Right. In the world. Right. Really. 10% they say, you know, it's, it's, I think the most recent study, a consensus study that I read is still talks about breaking it down to basically there's 10% of the world that hunts maybe even a little bit less than this most uh, recent 2017 or end of 16 consensus, but 10, 10, 10% of us hunt, 10% of us are vehemently anti-hunting, absolutely against any kind of hunting of any sort. But then there's that 80% in the middle. And that's truly how I, 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 that's who I feel we need to reach is not the antis. If they, if they want to take that stance, I think it's often very hard to communicate um, that we are animal lovers, that we, that there are more animals on the planet today because of hunters. That is a concept that's really hard for uh, you know, the PETA people of the world to comprehend. Um, rarely do they have even the mindset to want to hear the science behind it, the education behind it, the intelligence behind it. Unfortunately, they speak with their emotions. You know, they live in sort of what we call, my friends and I sort of called a Disneyland mentality, thinking that Bambi does exist and, you know, movies like The Bear and, you know, that 
portray animals with human motions and characteristics. But um, it, it, it can be challenging in the social media era that we live in mm-hmm. to be a, especially a female hunter and stand tall behind hunting. Um, if you're not educated on why hunting is a necessity, mm-hmm. why not just for your own soul. Like for me, if someone told me that I could no longer hunt or fish, I, I, I don't know what I would do. I, I really don't. It, it's such a part of my life. It not because of skull bond, just because it's where I choose to spend my free time. You know, it's where I choose to, um, get my exercise. It's where I choose to get my, my cleansing. It's, we live in Montana where I'm so lucky that we can hunt almost every single month of the year, even in the winter now is wolf season, mountain lion season, coyotes, you know, which is part of predator management, which just all goes back into wildlife management. Um, and yes, we do eat them. People don't know that mountain mm-hmm. lion is and bear is absolutely delicious. I have some in my freezer right now, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, it can be hard in this social media. I think women are attacked so, so easily and, um, it, it can be hard, but it's funny. The more death threats I get, the more vile names I'm called that just truly makes me stand taller. Then they're not going to change my opinion. Now, maybe it's because I've grown up in this lifestyle. It's who I am. I'm 46 years old and you know, my entire, after 12 years old, I went to hunter. Well, even before that I would tag along with my dad, but went through hunter safety when I was 12 years old and it's been a part of my life ever since. But maybe antis think if they targeted a new woman hunter, like you were talking about your friend who just picked up a bow for the first time and started name calling her, maybe they think that that would do some type of damage or maybe a new hunter would be like, wow, I didn't know I was going to bring on this kind of backlash. But I'm telling you, the majority of people I know, it just, the antis make them stronger in their convictions, make them you know, I belong to seven conservation groups. I'm a lifetime member of the Mule Deer Foundation, National Wild Turkey Federation, Safari Club International. I'm a NRA member, an Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation member, Sportsman's Alliance member. And every time I just got back from uh, two conventions from the MDF and NWTF, and every time I come back, I'm just more and more convinced and stronger in my passion. And I, what the antis don't understand is when they name call and they death threat and stuff like that, it really just takes all, you know, credibility off their argument. If, if it, there's really been only, I can count on one hand how many intellectual conversations I've had with anti-hunters mm-hmm. simply because they tip, it typically doesn't go that direction when someone starts name calling and threatening. It's because it's their last resort. It's sort of all they've got to argue with. It's just much easier. I tell everybody to just block, ban, and delete mm-hmm. if that's the case, if you're a, a hunter yeah, on social media. Yeah, it's not an equal debate. No. Right. You're no. trying to have a debate and everybody, lots of people have different views of the world and of how they think things should be. And debate is where you should sit down and be able to, I think, justify your side and then listen to the other person's side and then maybe come to us like, oh, I didn't really get that. But that's unfortunately not really what happens right and right. i think the more we get attacked too it's easier to get defensive so we get we become on the defensive and we start to defend our what we think is right and when you have to start doing that then you know that it's going to come to this place where okay we need to quit having the the discussion because yeah. now we're defending our own positions i will and, and i will do that if it if anyone ever on social media poses a question let's mm-hmm. say um like why would you why would you kill that mountain lion, for example, which is very common? I will answer that question 
usually in a couple of sentences, you know, of, well, I, I love animals too. And it's part of wildlife management. I live in the Bitterroot Valley of Montana where the cat densities are simply too high. They're doing too much damage on our ungulate population. You know, I'll, I'll answer like that. But if it does come to a, a name calling kind of thing or a vile comment or, or rude, be, someone being rude, my suggestion for especially younger gals is just simply block them, ban them, and delete that rude comment mm-hmm. and move on. I'm a right fighter by nature. It's kind of my personality. And I've had to learn to like just back off and really use that women intuition. You know, that if someone's coming from a place of curiosity or they really want to know why why you're doing something or why, about a hunt or a weapon or anything, I am more than happy to answer those questions. But if they come from a place of rudeness, they're not they're not looking for a debate like you talked about. They're just looking to, you know, spew their opinions onto you. And it's easier just, I think it's easier just to ban or block them. I think the last time I checked my Facebook, I had over 4,000 people on my, my block list. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And that's from seven years of blocking people, you know, but, and like I say, I'm open to any kind of open discussion, but if it starts with name calling, or rude comments, or even in and the, the really sad thing is when hunters are being rude to other hunters. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, I won't stand for that. And, you know, I just, I think it's, it's such a sad position. If they only knew the forces that be that are trying to take away our hunting rights, if they understood, and I didn't, I have to say, I didn't understand until I got into Skullbound and into, um, you know, working with Jim and working with these conservation groups and the Sportsman's Alliance, I didn't understand all the court cases every single year that are being instated trying to take away our hunting rights a little bit at a time, whether it's an anti-trapping new bill that was introduced or, um, you know, they don't want the mentor bill to happen in every state where youth can go along on hunts and actually get an apprentice license before hunter safety and those kind of things. And really, it's just to stop hunting in any way, shape, or form. There's been bills introduced to to make it illegal to use dogs in any style of hunting. You know, and it's a big issue, of course, with bear hunting and cat hunting. But there are people who want dogs to not be able to pheasant hunt, duck hunt, bird hunt. And you know, they live for that. They yeah. absolutely live for that. And so I, until I got working with some of these conservation groups, didn't realize the forces that be that are trying to take away our hunting rights and Anytime I get the chance, I just try to tell people who love our hunting lifestyle that we really need to band together. I don't care if you're a longbow hunter or you use, you know, a, a, a <clears throat> excuse me, a, you know, long range rifle. I don't care what style. I care that you're ethical. I care that you're legal, and I care that you have reverence for the land and the wildlife that we're hunting. And uh, we need to band together a bit stronger. I think. Yeah, I so I don't hunt, but I find myself being married to a hunter for the last 20 years. I feel like I've always had to be on the defensive as well mm-hmm. because people will be like, "Oh, you know, people who don't understand or ha- didn't know him or something there'd be I always had this kind of fear of, "Oh gosh, what are people going to think?" Right? right? And I find that even um just being associated with somebody who does it, you you kind of it, you kind of feel like you're always defending something. And I feel like I'm defending something I don't even understand because I don't do it. And and I would just be trying to defend his position on it. And what I realized is I kind of got to a place where I was like, well, you know, if you have a problem with him, talk to him about it because he can much more eloquently tell you why he does it than I can because I don't totally understand it. 
And what I've noticed in, you know, having this platform now for the last year and meeting people like you, um, I did not grow up like this. So I grew up <laughs> very differently and I didn't grow up in a bad way. I, I mean, I've been exposed to nature. Like I said, you know, um, people in my family did hunt up to a certain age, then it kind of quit. But I feel like I never really saw, I never, I was never able to kind of cultivate like, like I said, coming in a place like this, I would have always, I would have just kind of been taught like, this is crazy. Right. Right. And with Ryan, it's like slowly over the years, seeing his passion for it. It's like, I found myself trying to defend it. And I'm at a point now. And I think Ryan is too, where it's like, you, you know, the people who are willing to learn whether they want to hunt or not, they're willing to learn. Mm -hmm. And then when I find myself having to defend pictures of like, people I don't even know. Right. Right. I've had friends pull out pictures of Donald Trump Jr. You know, all these things that are on the media. Right. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And I've just come to learn that you can't always understand the context Mm -hmm. of a picture. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know him. I don't know what happened. I don't know what the situation is. I don't even know where it was. Why do I have to now defend something that I don't even know just because I'm married to a hunter, right? right? But there seems to always, as people want to have an answer for things they don't understand. And sometimes you just have to realize this is just, people are different. Right. And what I love, but what I love about you and what I love about um, just just getting to know you is that you really are completely like in love with this lifestyle oh if i was like your mother and i was like (laughs) you cannot hunt i do not agree with hunting like that would be a really bad move on my part because it's kind of like ryan it's just who he is it's part of who he is if i had forced him to stop hunting our marriage wouldn't have worked right right and so for you too i can really see that about you and maybe that's a topic we should talk about especially women in this industry and I'm obviously not a woman in the hunting industry. I'm just by well, you kind fault. Of are. I'm by fault, <laughs> Mary. You know, here talking to people in the industry, but from the from an outsider kind of looking. Well, wait, wait, in, wait! Since your podcast is called Hunt Harvest, oh. Health, you're in it. You're in it, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I know that's true. That's true. Uh, but I kind of from the outside looking in as a woman who doesn't hunt and, mm-hmm. and looking at like social media. You've brought that up a few times. Looking at social media and this new age of uh, the celebrity, <laughs> uh-huh. like you said, you don't like that word, but I just use that word because like people that you see a lot and they maybe have a TV show. When I was a kid, if you had a TV show, you were like a celebrity. Oh yeah, back in right? the day. Like, whoa, yeah. TV show. Um, but it's kind of insta-famous now, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. and the ability for a picture to really impose an emotion, invoke a reaction in people much more than ever before. And that's probably just because of the social media movement, right? right? Mm -hmm. And um, seeing women in this industry and kind of, you know, what do you think that the industry currently is telling women, maybe new, younger women, girls, like telling them about hunting? I think... I guess, do you understand my question? Yeah, I do. And this is a topic I've talked a lot about lately. Um, It's really fascinating to me because with social media and talking about the hunting industry and the hunting community that we're all a big part of, there's pros and cons. On one hand, I think it's 
a, a tremendous asset, that social media is a tremendous asset to our lifestyle. I think we're able to reach that 80% that I talked about, the, you know, the non-hunters who maybe have never seen a woman next to, you know, an elk that she killed, or maybe never seen women bear hunting or whatever, you know, deer, uh, deer, deer and turkey being obviously the number two, number one and two things hunted in this country. But, you know, to, I think it's, it's done, um, it's done a good thing in terms of broadening people's awareness of hunting. I also think though, of course, that, um, there can be negativity attached with that as well. You know, I think that uh, nowadays, just just what I have seen, this is just my observation in the last couple of years, you know, there's the Instagram famous, if you will, girls. And if you in the hunting industry, if you notice, there's really not Instagram famous guys in the hunting mm-hmm. community. It's right. a girl thing. And that's because of the, you know, pages that, in my opinion, um, sex it up. And when I say that, I'm talking about, you know, Daisy Dukes and leaning over and checking your trail camera in a, you know, seductive position, or maybe you're wearing your bikini, camouflage bikini, pulling your bow back, whatever. That, that, that might get a lot of views. It may get a lot. It does. It clearly does get a lot of reach. You know, there's pages out there that anyone who's on Instagram knows exactly what I'm talking about that kind of sex it up and sort of glorify not just strong, strong, beautiful women, but they sexify it. They, you know, make it sexy. And if you looked at the demographics of those pages, you know, they're 85% men looking at those pages and nothing wrong with that. Hey, you know, that's human nature. Men and women are going to look at beautiful men and women and, and like what they see. How I see that damaging to the hunting industry is that there are a lot of really wonderful, credible, hardcore women, young and old out there that have to battle the fact that, uh, you know, the, that there are some that sort of dummy it down, if you will. Like you will never see me in a bikini pulling my bow back. I don't go out in the backyard in my bikini pulling my bow back. You're never going to see me, you know, bending over for the trail camera picture. Like just is not going to happen. Now, mind you, I'm 20 years older than most of these girls I'm you talking about. You better get on that. Girl. Yeah, You right? don't have much time left. Yeah, you better get, I need well, to get the those, getting's good. I get to get those likes up there, right? <laughs> um, never in a million years would I ever sexify anything um, to create light. And what I'm seeing now is a shift because I just got done with SHOT Show, right? I just got done with ATA, Archery Trade Show Association. And I've just got done talking with, you know, 15 of my sponsors. And what I'm hearing now is that these hunting companies that I work with, at least that I work with, are stepping back and they're stepping away from wanting to just get those impressions out there. They're stepping away from throwing free gear at a lot of these young, beautiful girls because they're going to mass blast and they're going to talk about it and all that because they're not seeing a return on investment. They're not seeing an ROI where there's a lot of visibility. There's not a lot of credibility. And I'm kind of seeing companies wanting to step away from and get more involved with with the girls who maybe only have you know a few thousand followers, but they can walk the walk and talk the talk. They can have a really intellectual conversation with you about the rifle they're using and the ballistics. And they can talk about the poundage they pull and their draw weight and the elk they killed and you know the bears they shot and what you know they can really hold their own. And it's refreshing to see. 
I'm not against, you know, girls looking beautiful and, and being passionate about the outdoors. And I think all that's great. Uh, it, it's not my style, nor do I like to see women sexing it up. If they want to do that and they want to become calendar girls, more power to you, girlfriend. Like go that route then. You know, there's a lot of um, companies in the two-way world, in the gun world that use gun bunnies at their booths, um, at you, in their marketing materials. More power to you if that's what you want to do. But if you truly, really want to um, pursue the lifestyle of hunting, and this is a passion of yours, and you want to be taken seriously about it, then I recommend not, you know, playing up the Daisy Dukes, for lack of a better phrase, you know, to not, not, nothing wrong with doing your makeup and looking attractive. And I always say, you know, I I don't get it much anymore, but I used to get a long time ago, people would say, how can you put your makeup on to go hunting? Well, um, you know, on Sportsman's Channel, I'm lucky to say that we reach millions of households. Mm-hmm. I don't really want uh, millions of people seeing me at my worst. Not that I need to be at my best all the time, but, you know, I like to feel attractive. It makes me, you know, feel a little bit better about myself to have a little makeup on. But, you know, they not all your pictures need to be beauty shot, selfie queen, mm-hmm. you know, type of photos. And I just think that women who do do that, dummy it down for the rest of us to simplify it. And I... You know, a couple of years ago, I was seeing a lot of companies throw a lot of gear those girls way and free product and, oh, we want you to pro staff. We want you to field staff, blah, 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 blah. And unfortunately, what that has done is dummied down the whole pro staff thing as well and watered it down to where pro staff doesn't mean anything except professional uh, or promotional staff. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that they're an expert or someone to look to for advice. Right. You know? It's basically free advertising exactly. for the company. And they're like, why not? You know, yeah. advertising traditionally is very expensive. Yes, exactly. So and while I do believe it works for some products, you know, like I've noticed a lot of the younger hunting gals uh, advertising teeth whitening systems. <laughs> oh. They actually hit me up. Uh, I got an email a couple months ago wanting to use my Instagram account and I politely declined. And, you know, Stuff like that. Maybe that, you know, hey, that girl's got great looking teeth. I'll, I wouldn't mind trying that. Maybe that does work. But when I, when I, you know, when men or women are advertising hunting related products, whether it's a mineral block for whitetails or bows or guns, and I look back through all their photos and I don't see that they've, you know, had very many tags notched, I'm not going to look to them to see what gear they used and why they used it. Right. I know why they're using that gear. They're using that gear because they're getting paid to post pictures about it. I would rather hear from, you know, someone like Jordan Budd, who's in the backcountry guiding sheep hunters all year round, you know, who's just so hardcore and, you know, maybe she doesn't wear tons of makeup and have tons of followers like some of these other girls, but man, do I respect her mm-hmm. big time. And if she says she likes something, I'm going to go, why? Why does she like it? How has it made her hunting lifestyle easier? You know, the uh, Anna Vorasek, another one whose names people probably don't even know. She's probably probably one of, if not the most well um, decorated, for lack of a better word, um, um, most achieved female bow hunters in the world. And um, doesn't care about social media, which I I like her for that. You know, she's not in it for that. She's a, an amazing woman. And um, Joella Bates is another one, an incredible bow hunter who, you know, she has 
paved the way for a lot of us women and she deserves more credit than she gets. And um, it just is what it is. I mean, I'm not denying it all that men don't love to look at beautiful women and oh, they threw a little bit of camo on and whoa, you know, that's even more, <laughs> more pretty. And that's all fine and dandy too. I mean, it is what it is. But from like you just asked, where do you see it going from a business point of view and being in the hunting industry? I'm hearing from my sponsors that that's not really the direction they want to go. They want to find women out there who can walk the walk, talk the talk, and who live for hunting and fishing. I, I, there, there's always been a problem for me. I think just in advertising in general, whatever genre we're talking about, um, I think there's just so much of uh, objectification of women. Mm-hmm. It's rampant, and. Yeah. I, I, if, if you know, if you just look at evolutionary biology, really, women are obviously the more beautiful sex. We're built that way. We are built that way because, you know, we are the ones who keep the human race going, right? right? We need to get men and, you know, and we are the pickers of men. Like, our decisions base what the genetic line is going to be like, right? Right. How many men get turned down, right? right. Like it's <laughs> men have it hard, right? Men are the ones traditionally who have to go out and find a woman to accept them. Most of the time, women, you get a pick and mm-hmm. you get to pick your man, right? Just kind of evolutionary. But because we're quote unquote, the weaker sex maybe, and because we look better, um, over time, this kind of objectification of beauty and of young girls, especially young women, right? Because as we start to get older, you rarely see older women being objectified, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And which is better, actually. I, I've kind of come to an age where I don't want to be objectified and looked at just as some beautiful Right. Piece of a. Like, right. That's not what I want. <laughs> but when I see my daughters and I see what they're going to have to go through, what we went through in our teens and our 20s and even 30s, you know, who am I? Am I beautiful? And will I be accepted? Is some is anybody going to love me for who I am? Mm-hmm. What do I have to do to get a man, quote unquote. And unfortunately, I think societally, we have done so much objectification of women. And what I hate to see more than anything, and probably the truth is, is that we objectify ourselves more than the men objectify us. Meaning we believe that we're only attractive if we have our makeup on. My husband could care less. He's like, why are you putting that makeup on? I don't know. It makes me look better. He's like, no, it doesn't. Just leave it off. It's wasting time. Like he said today, it's such a waste of time. Right. But I, over the years, have come to believe that it does make me look better. Right. And maybe, like, if you're on TV, I always feel like I look so much less tired. Yeah. Yeah. And we have the ability to cover that up, right? Men don't do that, right? right? If a guy looks tired, he looks tired. We have the ability to put this makeup on. But you now have that persona. Like, if you just stopped wearing makeup, you've had all these people like, what's happening, Jana? (laughs) Because you look different without makeup. Yeah. We all look different without makeup. Right. 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 And, but we've kind of done that to ourselves because it started when we were really young, we need to wear makeup to attract a mate. We need to wear, 
sexy clothes to attract a mate, right? It's kind of that thing that happens. Right. And then as you get older, it's just kind of, I have to do this to, you know, make sure I still look good and I'm trying to be young. And what I just hate to see is when I see these Instagram accounts and I see these young women who obviously have amazing assets, you know, a lot of them much more assets than most women might have at their age and, and they're, but they're objectifying themselves. You mm-hmm. know, they're bending over with their daisy. It's like, right really sweetheart but then i think about it evolutionary it's like we've been doing this for like millennia right we've been we've been treating ourselves like we have to be um we have to be accepted by the male sex or by other women mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. or we're competing with other women so we have all this we're i'm better looking than you i have more assets than you i can get a better man than you that kind of thing and as you get older you start to realize that doesn't really matter right? And it's hard to watch this happen. And then it's even more frustrating, I can imagine, to be an older woman, quote unquote, like we are, we're like considered middle age now (laughs) in our 40s. But to see someone like as accomplished as you, Mm -hmm. who's been through 20 years of the ropes, who has a successful TV show because of hard work, who has all of this because of very hard work, to see somebody come in at 21 with Insta Story Famous, objectifying themselves, mm-hmm. giving these guys what they want to see, quote unquote, and there's nothing behind it yet. Yeah. They haven't even had enough life experience to even understand the ramifications of what they're actually putting out there oh, to the public. Oh, for sure. Right? And it's it's really kind of disheartening. And as you get older, right, you kind of do the mom thing. Like, sweetheart, you really shouldn't <laughs> be doing that. Like, right? it's going to turn around and bite you in the butt. Right? Right. right. But... It's this, it's this like weird dichotomy of what we think we should be doing and how we think we should look. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I, I just wish that there was something about that for women that could change where we could um, stop being so hard on ourselves. Yeah. Oh, and uh, for sure. My girlfriends and I talk about this all the time. One thing, I, I was on a podcast the other day for um, Alex Lanchi's uh, Anatomy of the Warrior podcast, and he, he asked a great question. And thankfully, he asked me it before I did the podcast uh, because I could just sit and like wallow in it for an evening. But he said, "What if you could give younger generations a piece of advice to carry with them, what would it be? Now, you know, there's so many different things I, w- I could have thought to say. But what I ended up saying, and I sort of stand by it, is is to just simply try as hard as you can to live authentically. I think... Like, like I was talking about earlier today with you, like in the podcast, I respect somebody if they're passionate about something in life or, or their lifestyle, um, because they're authentic, they're being authentic. Like I love authenticity. I love that. Um, I love being 46 years old. Like I would not go back in time for any amount of dollars. I would not go back to my twenties. I am a different woman today, completely different. That's why I think relationships are really challenging too, because as women, we're so different teenagers. Then we get into our twenties and we sort of become like growing into adulthood and blossoming and figuring stuff out on our own and figuring out like our roles as life, uh, you know, whether you're a career woman or you're maybe a, a new wife or a new mom or, you know, trying to figure it all out in your 20s. And then you get into your 30s and you start to feel old in your 30s and you're thinking, oh, I got it all figured out now. You know, I remember thinking that in my 30s, like, <laughs> like, oh, I got it down now. I think I'm on the right path. Oh, Lord. I, you know, it really is, hasn't been 
until I would say the last few years of my life, even maybe the last five or six, where I've just felt more comfortable in my own skin than ever before. Now, mind you, I've always been a pretty authentic person, I think. I've always, you know, I got away from hunting a bit in college, in high school and college, I would say just because of the typical teenage years, you know, more interested in school and boys and clothes and fashion and all that than anything. But but when I I picked up a bow when I was a well, I found my dad's buck with him when he was when I was a freshman in college and he was so excited. And I remember thinking, because he was just kind of a new whitetail hunter at that time. We'd always bird hunted together, but and I remember thinking, I want that. Like that, watching my dad jump up and down in a cornfield because we found his buck, I wanted to know what that felt like. And the next year, got a bow. And, you know, I think this is, it was either 19 or 20. I think that, I think this is my 27th year bow hunting. But so I've always sort of uh, led an authentic life. But of course, in the last decade of my life, diving into hunting as a career as well. Some people don't know I was, I worked in the financial industry for 10 years. I was in outside sales before that. Um, was in radio sales ugh, uh, before that, um, so I put my time in in the in the outside career world for sure. But I just I wouldn't I, I just want to you know talk to these young girls that I see on social media or that I know daughters of friends of mine and just just tell them like hang on girlfriend everything's gonna be okay just listen to your true self don't fall into that that you know pattern of like you said of oh, she's prettier than I am, or what is she using, or what is she doing, or I need to filter this photo and that photo, and I can never... I've met some young girls. I meet them in real life, and I'm like, wait, wait. I thought we were friends. That's you from Instagram. <laughs> you you, you have filtered every single photo I've ever seen. You know, don't fall into that. Like, you know, just try to, you know, listen to your inner heartbeat, your inner mind, and, and uh, you know, be authentic not fault. Thank goodness. Social media wasn't around when I was in my teenage years and 20 years and life was tough enough. And I can't even imagine what it would be like that being your sort of social part. My social part of my child was meeting up at the McDonald's parking lot and, you know, I'll get doing Brody's this time of year. We'd go do Brody's at the main mall in Bozeman. Yeah. (laughs) Bernie's in the mall. Exactly. Like that was our social, you know, we, I mean, I didn't even have a cell phone until I think I was 25, you know, Mm -hmm. So it's a different time. It's a different era. And I just, uh, with young women, I hope that they can find social media as a, um, not a competition and not, not an insecurity, but maybe find some strength and finding other people you look up to and want to emulate and want to live, you know, an authentic lifestyle and to stand tall. And it's hard to stand tall. I mean, people are brutal to each other. Kids are brutal to each other. Teenagers, 20 year olds, they're they're brutal to each other on social media because it's easy to hide behind that keyboard, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, just to live an authentic lifestyle, I think is, is really important. And it can be challenging because the human nature, we all have insecurities. We all have stuff. And and like you say, you know, being in this industry for a while, um, you know, being a freelance writer before Skullbound and now with, with the success of Skullbound and having this platform, I want to use it for something other than just to have a TV show. And that's why I've sort of branched into the veteran community and doing a lot of work with them. And it's why I do a lot of work with the conservation groups because there's so much more meaning in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I went out and hunted just to get a great picture for Instagram, that's pretty meaningless. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I think there's ones out there. You know, there's 
girls posing with their boyfriend's fish, you know, and getting called out on it. And, you know, if that's the reason you're doing it, if you're putting on that bikini just to go shoot your bow in the backyard for Instagram, something's wrong here. You know, you got to really ask yourself why, why you're doing what you're doing in the day and age that we live in today. And, you know, I, uh, I feel like I feel like companies, back to your point of how do you feel being older and looking at these young girls who don't even have credibility or, or knowledge and people throwing money, dollars at them and, and hunting products, it is a little frustrating. I'm lucky to work with some of the most amazing companies. My my partners are my friends. We have really deep intellectual conversations about marketing strategies and, and moving forward. And I consider all of my partners, my bosses, I work for them. I want to brand hunting and we all brand hunting. That's an important thing to remember that even if you're just on social media and you don't have a TV show or you don't have a YouTube channel, we're still branding hunting to those non hunters because friends of friends are watching what we do. But I have these conversations with my partners and my sponsors and um, very candid conversations. And, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them understand. And I think they're trying, they want visibility, but they want credibility just as much. And I see a shift going in that direction, which is really nice to see. Yeah, well, I think over time, you start to realize what is going to be your long term benefit, right? And you know, Instagram, Facebook, you know, we even see Facebook dying now slowly and Instagram's taking over, you know, but what's going to be the next platform? Mm -hmm. And um, I think, like you said, people that are knowledgeable about what they're doing, they're doing it. They've been doing it for like, you know, I just use Ryan example. He didn't even get into social media till like two years ago yeah, or whatever. And, you know, before that he was doing what he's doing now. He just nobody knew about it. Right. And he'd still be doing that if there wasn't Instagram or we hadn't started this. He's still going to do what he's going to do. Right. 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 And so those people can really see through these things. Right. But it is a, it is an awkward setup with sponsorships, you know, because trying to get money, um, in this industry and trying to, you know, support what you need to support. And then, getting money for just having followers, you know, it's kind of a very new concept, right? In in advertising. It is. And getting money for things you don't even really do just because you get so many impressions. Right. Right. But that's not going to last for very long either. It's not. And I'm seeing forward thinking companies see that they see the wave, they rode the wave. Now it's like, Oh, this isn't, you know, getting these people is probably not in our long term financial benefit to have this and could even hurt our reputation. Well, that's what I'm seeing a lot of. That was the talk a lot at AT and Shot is that they're, you know, um, if, you know, sending their products and sending money to uh, people that don't have the credibility, if you will, or the, you know, the years behind them is watering down their brand. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the companies I work with, I had this exact conversation at the Western Hunt Expo that they did choose that route in the beginning where they threw product at everybody and they really feel like it actually hurt them. Um, it watered down their brand. They're going a different direction now. And it's just interesting to see. And I'm not trying to be negative either. I think that there are, there's nothing wrong with being a beautiful young girl who lives to hunt and fish, you know, and, and may take beautiful photos. There's nothing wrong with that. I would ask, you know, is if to look at their page as a whole, as a, as a, as a brand, who are you? What do you represent? You know, and if every single one of your pictures is a selfie or a picture of you and nothing else, well, I mean, 
that kind of speaks for itself. And we can't, what I'm hearing from companies is that, you know, we can't assume our customers are stupid, you know, and that kind, that kind of philosophy of, of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks kind of is stupid. I think that, uh, visibility and credibility are two totally different things. If I was, if I was, had a new brand new company. In fact, I just had this conversation. There's a brand new company coming out in a couple months that I'm going to want to come on your podcast and talk all about because it's an amazing, amazing new thing for the hunting industry. Can't say anything else now, but I will. But I had this exact talk with him and he was like, who should I work with? Who do you think I, who do you respect? And I'm like, well, I mean, the six names I'm going to give you, you've probably never heard of them, but I tremendously respect these six, hunt, six, seven hunters, men and women. They're the ones who are walking the walk, talking the talk, working their butts off, good shooters, you know, good archers who don't care as much about social media. So, but they're, they're the people who, but they're also people who are going to use your product. They're going to love it and give you honest feedback. And I know that they're going to sell product for you because people who might like myself who watch them care what they have to say. They don't just watch them. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think the difference is, is that some of these um, Instagram famous people uh, get a lot of watchers and a lot of views, but people don't really care what they have to say. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, you know, if they're marketing clothing companies or fashion or makeup or teeth whitening, like I was talking about, yeah, I think they're probably going to do great for those companies mm-hmm. because they sell, they look good. You know, they're, they're marketing products that are going to make them simply look better, mm-hmm. you know, versus hunting and products. that's important when you're hunting. <laughs> right? <I'm guessing. laughs> yeah. Now, if you're... I know even without hunting, you know, a six day backpack trip, what I look like is super important. <laughs> Actually, the strategy is never take a mirror. You don't care what yeah. you look don't like. Don't look in the water if you yes. find water. Don't and then like. you get back to your truck and you're like, "Yeah, what? Woo. You didn't tell me I had like dirt all over my face. It's like, <laughs> no, you look better that way. All right. So um, lately, like I just came out with a guy's program about a month ago or so, you know, testosterone. Because, you know, you yeah. know, 85% of our demographic is men, but it's slowly right. changing mm-hmm. because we've been able to pull in more women, even women who don't hunt because they're the wives and their husbands are like, oh, this podcast, you would like this too. It's not just hunting, right? right. And so lately I've been trying to tune in to, to women and kind of what, what is it about? And I'm talking maybe like women that are 25, 30 up to our age, you know, older, maybe they have young children, maybe they don't, you know, you don't have children, but you have a busy lifestyle. Um, you're a businesswoman, you know, you're a hunter. Uh, and I'm, I kind of, there's this big kind of question on my mind about women these days. And maybe we just talked a little bit about it. It was, is, uh, you know, women wanting to fit in and wondering kind of who they are and kind of where they fit into society is like how they look and stuff like that. But I'm wondering if you have any tips for like lifestyle things that you feel are really vital for you, like things you do in your life Mm -hmm. and some, some kind of, um, tips that you would give women just in general, whether they hunt or not, um, you know, what are some things that you would advise women kind of to do for themselves or that you feel like women are really lacking in that they're not doing enough of? Well, well, this is going to sound so probably generic. Um, but I, I sleep. I know that sounds really dumb and funny and and all the women out there are going to go, yeah, it would be nice if I had time. I'm not talking about naps, but I'm telling you that I the older I get, sleep is so crucial for my life in every aspect of it. 
Now, mind you, in the fall, when we're getting up at, you know, 4.35 a.m. and I'm doing a lot of elk hunting or, you know, I don't, I don't get as much sleep because I'm usually not back to camp until late right. at night kind of thing. A lot of hunts are like that as well. But um, sleep is so crucial. And so those, these winter months when I don't have to get up super early, mm-hmm. um, I literally will sleep. I'll go to bed at 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night and try to sleep eight, nine hours. Like it, I feel so much more invigorated. I've always blown off sleep except in the I'll tell you what it is a friend of mine Becky Lou she and I got into this topic in Texas so eight years ago and we were on a hunt together it was this actually semi-ridiculous tv show we were on (laughs) but it ended up where it was her and I in a tent in Texas the last four nights we talked about a lot of things but I'll never forget her talking about sleep and she was also she's 63 years old and looks amazing she is total full of energy, a beautiful body, beautiful face, beautiful hair. Like she's just rocking it at 63. And she has always been sleep, sleep, sleep. She's always pounded it. Sleep and water, sleep and water. And uh, I never really thought about sleep all that much until then. So I would think, I would love to tell women to get as much sleep as possible. Mm -hmm. I think it's crucial to me and my stress levels. I also, as funny as this sounds, like little rituals that unwind you, for me, it's taking a tub at night. And I literally, for hours before I take my tub, I think about it. Like, I can't wait. And what bubble bath am I going to use? And I'm just going to soak. And I don't sit in it for an hour. I literally only probably tub for 10 minutes. But that soaking, that hot water, you know, just soaking in my tub with the scent of lavender in the air, it's my time, my little 10, 15 minutes to just you know, think about the day, uh, blow off steam, whatever, just relax. Like we need to find moments like that, that we look forward to, whether it's, you know, I know busy moms are going to find a really hard time. Maybe it's after the kids go to bed and right before bed, you take that bath or, you know, or you dive into that book or whatever it is. Women are so busy in their own roles that they forget to take those moments, you know, for themselves. Obviously, diet nutrition is a gimme if you're not, you know, and I'm definitely far from perfect. Jim and I just made a joke, funny tweet last night that we stopped at Cold Stone Creamery. But I do have to say this. We did (laughs) did stop at Cold Stone Creamery, but I think life's about balance too. And I think I, back in my 20s, I was obsessed with eating, eating right and food and, you know, running. And I'm a stocky, athletic, built girl. And that was back in the day where skinny was in. Let me just say thank Jesus above that big butts are in right now because, <laughs> because like I like literally I've never been more comfortable with my skin and I act like it's my old age. It's probably just because big butts are in right now. But you know, that muscular, well, bigger. You, you look fit. You don't well, look big. I mean, you I climb a lot of mountains. I climb like, a lot of mountains. I work out yeah. every day, but I'm definitely not like when I was 18, all we cared about was trying to get skinny. Yeah. We didn't care about lifting weights. We didn't no. care about CrossFit. We didn't care about climbing mountains. We cared about looking skinny. Mm-hmm. And I love that, whether it's from social media, you can all give credit to the Kardashians as much as I hate to say it. You know, whatever. <laughs> I don't really care. Shout but, out on our yeah, hunting yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really care why, but it's true that athletic girls that build, you know, is not looked frowned upon anymore, you know? But anyway, I was talking to Sarah Bomar, who I really like following because she's a fitness guru, right? But she's also like, did you guys know they have 
I forgot what she said it was, downstairs, like the best ice cream parlor in Vegas. And I just had to laugh. I'm like, really? And she, oh my God. And later on, she tweeted a picture of this gargantuan Sunday that was a cheat day for her. And I love that she, it puts that out there. You know, yeah. this is her livelihood. It's how they make a living. Her and Josh, you know, are a, a very well-known fitness couple, but she's real. And I, I like that. I like that, you know, she keeps it real and talks about her cheat cheat meals every now and then. I think you got, and whether, I think, we as women back on the topic of what you would recommend. I recommend everything that the normal, you know, health fitness person recommends. Good sleep, uh, taking your vitamins. You know, you are the queen of 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 knowing fitness and health. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't call you the but queen, it, but, but it's true. I know too much, is what it's called. yeah, ton, inundated yeah. with tons of stuff. It can be hard to decipher out, but I also think it, it's fun to. Um, you know, treat yourself once in a while, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I think back to when, was it Oprah's 40th or 50th where she wouldn't eat a piece of the birthday cake? And I remember that was my, that was my aha moment about Oprah that everything she says isn't, isn't golden. That I'm like, really? Yeah. You're not even going to have a piece of your own birthday cake to me and my brain and how my weird brain works. I think that's shameful. Like, I get diets. Trust me. So can I, I have this observation. Oprah is a great example of kind of societal, a societal observation that I have. Uh-huh. And I will come at this from just an observation. I am skinny. Uh-huh. I've always been skinny. I was heavier when I was younger, but I'm skinny. Like, I'm the person people go, my mom will say, are you not eating? What's wrong with you? I can see your bones. Well, no one's out. ever asked me that. No. So I'm like, I'm the girl who's trying to keep weight on so that people don't think I'm not eating. Uh-huh. And I just have a very fast metabolism. I've yeah. talked about this on the show. I'm a high stress person. I, if I get on something, I may not eat. Yeah. I'm just, I have a lot of adrenaline. Yeah. So, you know, I will say that I'm not overweight. I can't sympathize with that. Mm-hmm. But what I, Oprah's a great example of this. It's sort of like, it's like a backhanded slap to telling women what to do, yet doing exactly what society is telling you, doing exactly what you keep telling women not to do. And I'll just explain. So Oprah is traditionally like a big woman. Uh I think she's just a big woman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Genetically. Yeah. And she rose through the ranks to become probably the most powerful, influential woman in the world. I would say she's on the top. For sure. Wealthiest, whatever you want to call it. Um, And she's still a big woman. Right. But she had those years there. You know, remember when we were young, she had the Oprah show and she'd be like big and she'd be skinny. She's talked about that. Like she starved herself and she'd be super skinny and she just looked weird, super skinny. Uh She looked kind of weird, super skinny. (laughs) It didn't fit Like a big head, like a bobblehead doll. Yeah. Just, just not straight. But she would do this thing and you could tell now that I'm a physician, you could tell when she's basically, you know, doing this yo-yo dieting thing. Yeah. And then she came to came to this place where she was, I felt like she was like, okay, this is who I am. I got, I'm just a big girl. I got big butt, you know, big hips and yeah. legs and, and I'm comfortable with myself. And, um, I got all the wealth in the world. I got all the fame I need and accept yourself. And she, then she went into this kind of like spiritual thing, you know, interviewing yep. all these things. She got rid of her Oprah show now has her Oprah network. She's interviewing all these very powerful people in the world. Right. But yet she's doing commercials for Weight Watchers. Mm-hmm. And Didn't she buy Weight Watchers? 
I think she bought into either Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers. I thought she bought it. Okay. So she now has a piece in something that's telling women, you need to be thinner. And Weight Watchers actually does great things for people because if you do have a weight issue, Mm -hmm. it's teaching you maybe how to fix your portions and this kind of thing. And, and, and. Um, and and that emotional eat, you know, yeah. I, I think there's benefits. There's for definitely sure. benefit, mm-hmm. but it's 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 this thing where you're now comfortable with yourself. You now say, "I'm a bigger woman." You know, I've attained something in my life. I'm now going to help other people. I'm going to do all this great stuff. But then I'm going to do commercials for Weight Watchers and basically continue to tell women, accept yourself, but go be part of Weight Watchers because you need <laughs> to get thin. Yeah, and I I'm like. In my in the way, like I said, I know too much. I start thinking about like it's kind of like a backhanded slap. Like you need to accept yourself, but at the same time, you still need to lose weight and you still need to be thin. And yeah. I haven't lost. You can see I'm still big, and I still need to do Weight Watchers, mm-hmm. right? And I feel to myself like, what is this about? Because you don't see men on there. No, you don't see. There are so many <clears throat> obese men. It's ridiculous. You've seen these men walking around, young men with babies, yeah. like. They're carrying babies, right? And you think to yourself, that's not good. That can't be good, no, right? But you never see commercials like that. You never see men buying Weight Watchers and having a Weight Watchers commercial. This is all directed at women, yeah, right? And then you have the most powerful woman in the world continually still making you think that you need to be something else. And I think that's where I feel like so many women get trapped. Yeah. It's because the life is not perfect. Right. You are never going to be perfect. Right. Oh, um, and, and that, man, that re- instantly reminds me of some of my friends from back in my 20s who literally were the most beautiful girls, like beautiful bodies, beautiful hair, beautiful makeup. And mind you, I... I, I never, I mean, I've never been more comfortable than in my forties that, I mean, I feel like I've aged well and tried to take it, but I also mm-hmm. feel a lot of that comes with self-confidence mm-hmm. and being comfortable in your own skin and not having to try makeup that might look great on you, but it makes me look like a clown, whatever, you know, uh, finding your own style. But some of my friends in my twenties were the most beautiful, perfect bodies, everything. And they had the most hangups of anyone I've ever met. And we're, like you said earlier, we're so hard on ourselves that I really think the key is to not try to be something that you're not. Like, you know, like I say, when back in, when I was in high school, it was all we ever did was try to, try to get skinny, you know, or try to, I'll only eat what my best friend Sarah eats because she's skinny, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) And uh, you got to work with what God gave you, Mm -hmm. you know. I've always been athletic and stocky and muscular. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think, I, I, I think you got to work with what God gave you. Got to be healthy, but you also can't flip that around like a couple girls I knew in college who were into aerobics and they do aerobics four times a day. You can't get obsessive with that either. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's about balance, about being comfortable in your own skin, knowing that you're doing what's right for your body, whether that's vitamins and herbs and teas and eating healthy and organic and, you know, which is a whole nother reason why we love to hunt, right? Is Mm -hmm. because the meats we know are organic and where they come from. I think if you do all the things that you know you should do 95% of the time, you know, maybe you will allow that cold stone creamery blizzard once in a blue moon because you both laugh and it's a great, you know, treat. But I think that's the key. I really do of being good 95% of the time, you know, doing what you should do and and continue to grow and learn. And that's why I love listening to your podcasts and talking with you and like, you know, health, health shifts 
you know, every few years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's hot one minute is not the next. And right lately I see keto, keto, keto everywhere, right? Oh, believe me. That's all, that's like the number one. And I am not a keto expert by any means. Like mm -hmm. I just started learning about it myself. And it's like probably the number one question I get right now. Yeah. I mean, I even did a free giveaway on the website. You can go get it if you want. It's about keto and genetics. Yeah. And I had to do research on it. It's still not even a hundred percent of like, there's so much information out there. Right. But yeah, people, fad. that's the fad right now. It's the Whoa. fad right now. Like, oh, always. Like, you know, I remember reading a book called Beyond Pritikin, probably in the, mm. my, in the, yeah, you in the 90s. And yeah. it was all about this whole concept of, you know, that fats don't make you fat, you know, kind of what right. it is now. But it goes in these shifts and in these waves of, you know, what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And it is, it is. You know, we could get lost in the information, I think. I think it's just, I think what we see post-war era is if you think about society prior to the wars, let's say the world wars, is... agriculture was different like the availability of food to be shipped to all these places was pretty much unheard of and so people were still eating more local um fresher fresher foods yeah um you know they were maybe hunting more you know hunting wasn't necessarily a trophy thing back then it was like you needed to feed your family oh yeah especially if you were poor oh yeah you had to get your own food but you were also eating you know wild game you were eating organ meats yeah you were eating liver yeah but back then they were eating those types of foods which were rich in folate rich in minerals uh um rich in iron, rich in all the things that uh, now post-war era comes in the processed food. We can now mass produce food. We're sending it all over across the country. Not only that, it was marketed like it was healthy. The whole Crisco thing, you know, all the, you know, margarines and all and it was marketed mass marketed to everybody like television changed the world yep right so television as you know demand has a high market value or at least back then it was so new and you could put something on tv and immediately be in somebody's home and so people would go to the grocery store so never before had there been this advertising that allowed people to go into a store and then see it and be like, oh, I saw this on TV and buy it. I want to eat it. So it totally and radically changed the way people were eating. Yep. There's become this thing with food as being bad as it's what's made me gain weight, right? People just have lost their idea of balance. Right. So if I said to you, if 95% of the time you eat fairly clean, you keep your, your, you keep your um, portions normal, you don't overeat, and then you can have that ice cream once in a while, right? It's just there's there's been so much guilt now because of this change in our whole food system is now everybody's guilted. It's like, I gained some weight. I got to feel guilty and I can't do it. But you know, the human brain doesn't work that way. The human brain is like, okay, I feel really guilty. I shouldn't do this. So that means I'm going to do it twice as much, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think it's this, it's really, I, mean, I think women, again, this objectification of what a good, uh, what a uh, what beauty is and what a pretty body is in the culture mm-hmm. has really um, affected the way that we treat ourselves. Yeah, right. Like how we learn and how we love ourselves, and that puts a lot of stress on us. So food is kind of that one that that first place that we'll go to and we'll guilt ourselves. We'll yeah, guilt ourselves. Like yep. I had some ice cream. Oh, I'm going to guilt myself. You know, women are so complex. Like we have such complex bodies. Yeah, compared to men. 
brains and bodies. And if you're a woman, you know this. <laughs> if you're married to a man yeah. or you're with a man, you know that yeah. you're very, very different. Right. And um, there's a lot of key like sociological and emotional factors that really play into women's health that yeah. don't play into men's yeah. the same yeah. way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, that's funny that you say that too, because it makes me take it back to the hunting, hunting world that I live in and the hunting community that I'm a part of. And, um, we've got to remember too that, that, and I'm saying this basically to your male listeners right now that we are different, right? Women and men are different. And, you know, lately in the news, you've seen the debates of should women be allowed in combat and, you know, should women, you know, have these roles, blah, 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 blah. And the point in fact is that we're different. Our brains are different. They work different than a man's. Our bodies are different. I'm not as strong as Jim. I cannot pack out as much as him. I can't even roll the barrel over sometimes to work on the other side. Like we're just simply not as strong. And I think, um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think it's important to remember that. And why I say that is we're different creatures. We are supposed to be different. It doesn't mean that we're um, any less valuable. It doesn't mean, I think we're just as, if not more valuable in the in the hunting industry and in the hunting world. Um, but I want, I, I have this conversation with a lot of men when they say, like, oh, I went out with my girlfriend once and she just wasn't into it. Or um, she got too emotional. She, she cried when she shot her deer, whatever. We need to remember that we're different creatures, right? And that we take experiences differently. Everybody, even women to women, men, to men, we all are different and we take the process differently. You can't shove something down someone's throat that doesn't want it, you know? Um, but if you have a new girlfriend or a new wife or a daughter, um, don't force it down their throat, but show them why you love hunting. Show them why you love to be out in the woods and all the little things that, you know, that, that it's about the, you know, butterflies landing on your sleeve and the possums walking under your tree stand and the hoot of an owl far away, all the little things that get you out there in the first place, you know, point all those things out and then don't expect a reaction that's going to be identical to yours. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that, I, I, the reason I think I'm saying this right now is this morning we were editing my elk show and I cry like a stupid baby in the end, but it was just so emotional for me. Mm-hmm. It was this, this hunt this year, I'd, I'd been at full draw five other times, um, this year and just couldn't get it done. And, you know, a lot of things went wrong and you make mistakes in hunting a lot. I think that's important to remember when you're dealing with a child or somebody new mistakes are going to happen. You're going to step on that stick and blow out the elk. You're going to, you know, you're going to decide to go over to a different Canyon where you thought that the mule deer were, and you didn't see anything. Mistakes happen all the time. The winds change. Uh, you know, you, you, get a bullet jammed, whatever it be, mistakes happen. You've got to be patient about that. But to just remember that we're different creatures and that your rea- her, her or his reactions might be different, mm-hmm. especially when they're kids, you know, uh, or a new woman getting into it. You know, it's a, it's a process. We all process the experience differently, uh, but beautifully, I think, you know, I don't, and I hate it when I see hunters judging other hunters because of that. Like there was a girl who, killed a night, a beautiful buck this year. And she cried. I loved her video. I thought it was so authentic and real. And, uh, you know, I saw a couple of people making fun of it or, or, oh, is now the thing to do to cry. And you know what? Who cares? 
react the way you want to react, make it authentic and, 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 you know, let yourself have those emotions because it is emotional. Well, I've never done it, but I've told Ryan, I feel like it's such a personal thing that this whole social media culture of like, you got to put everything on social media. I, I, to me, I told Ryan, if I were ever to do this, I don't think I'd even want you to put it on social media because that would be such a huge place for me to go as a person. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I just want to put that out there for like everybody to see. Yeah. To see, to criticize, to criticize, have an opinion on Yeah. Yeah. Like, like for me to even make that decision would be so difficult for myself Mm -hmm. that then to open myself up to what other think of other people either think positively or negatively, whatever it would be. It's like, I just don't know if I would have the strength to deal with that on top of my own decision. Mm-hmm. To the non-hunters, they would be sitting here in my living room looking around and and either be disgusted or not get it, why I, I have a dozen heads here in my living room alone. But it why I do, why I've chosen to, you know hunt and also take it to the next level of mounting, you know, those memories on my wall is because nothing, nothing else in life, in my life that I've ever experienced, and mind you, I've only been here four and a half decades, but nothing in my life has even come close to the concoction of emotions that I feel when I'm on a hunt. Uh, I don't even know if there is an English word to describe. I mean, there's ambivalence, right? Which is where you feel one thing, but you also feel another. But that's not that's not deep enough. I'm talking about that moment, like I'm looking at my moose, right? That was a Alaska moose hunt in the backcountry. It was do-it-yourself with our friend uh, Ben Willers and his daughter. But, you know, we rented the horses. We took all of our own gear in. We tented for a week. We packed, they took care of the bull. It was a hardcore hunt, right? But the moment that I, wa- I, I shot that bull, he comes out, we watched him for eight minutes straight, rubbing a tree. He turns to the side, starts to walk away. I shoot him. I watch him tip, 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 boom, crash over. And the moment I walk, walked up on that bull moose, I literally, you can see on the video, I'm crying. Like I'm, I'm so full of emotions of A, just pure joy. Like it all came together, right? It, 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 cum- it cul- culminated in a monster moose. Um, also, I remember being next to him and looking at the enormous size of its body. And this is the biggest animal that I had ever taken. And there is something just, um, I'm trying to find that, something just like that takes over you. That's like the enormity of it all. Like not just the animal, but the the work that it's going to take to process and get every ounce of meat off that animal. Just the the whole the whole process in and of itself with an animal that big is overwhelming in and of itself. There's sadness because he's beautiful. Like this big beautiful animal just gave its life for me, and so that I could experience this, and so that I could take the meat home and share it with my family and friends and have this amazing adventure. He was the reason we were out there. One of the reasons, right? And to have that joy, that overwhelming joy, exhilaration, sadness, um, uh, a little, not, 
a little bit of fear because we were in Grizz Central, like Grizz territory. But, you know, so there's that. And like, are we going to get it processed in time? Are we going to be in the dark? Are we going to hear bears coming? Are we going to, you know, all of that, all of those emotions mixed up into one is why I mounted that bull and I can look at them every single day and remember that. And nothing delivers those that concoction of emotions like hunting does. Mm-hmm. Nothing in my life. I, and I've been really fortunate. I've traveled the world. I've really, I've been to Greece, France, Switzerland, you name it, places where I didn't even hunt, just went to travel. I've been, I've been, I've sit, sat in dung huts in Kenya. Did not, and that was not a hunting trip either. You know, I feel like I've seen a, a bit of the world. I've, uh, and I can honestly say that all that all those experiences and adventures were amazing, but don't even come close to the exhilaration of a good hunt. Mm-hmm. And and all those emotions, I don't even know anything else in my wildest dreams that would even come close to having all those emotions. And even those, even the bad ones, even the sorrow and a little bit of the regret that you talked about. Mm-hmm. That I think 99.9% of hunters have, you know, if you kill and have no remorse, you're probably a poacher. Like if you can just go pot shot animals, you're probably just a poacher Mm -hmm. and not a true passionate hunter. But I don't know anything in my, anything in life that could deliver those kind of emotions and even the bad ones. Oh, this is what I was going to say. Even the bad ones, it's still, it makes you feel alive. And whether it's touching that darkness that you talked about, you know, that reaching into your soul and, and answering the questions of how would you deal with things, it still makes you feel alive. And when hunters say that, you know, oftentimes they're, I feel alive when I'm out there and they're talking about the fresh cold air in their lungs and, you know, facing, you know, the, the elements and the sun on their face and smelling the wallows and all that. Yeah. I also think they mean a little bit of what you're talking about. I think they mean that they're diving into the light and the dark. They're diving into the uncomfortable. They're diving into those emotions that what else in life is going to, at the exact same time, bring you so much joy as well as a little bit of remorse and a little bit of regret and a little bit of, of, and a lot of thank you and a lot of reverence and a lot of joy and all at the same time. I don't know what else would do that. Well, you know, I think it's a, a very small percentage of the population hunts and it, it's like that culturally and tribally. Mm-hmm. You don't want everybody hunting, right? <laughs> There's not enough animals for that. Mm-hmm. And so the people who maybe tried it and had that, all those feelings and their regret was bigger and their sorrow was bigger and they're just like, this isn't for me. Right. I can't do this again. They don't go on to hunt, mm-hmm. male or female. Um, and the people... I actually know a couple of people like that. There's a, I, my dad I was like that. Re- yeah. hey, I, I respect that that's their opinion. And my dad, you know, my grandpa was a deer hunter in Texas, but he said it was different back then in the 50s and 60s. They'd just go kill deer and they wouldn't even use the meat sometime. And it was just different. They didn't yeah. process it right. They didn't know how to process it. So it was disgusting. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but he just that he's just like this just was not for me and what I experienced it wasn't something that I felt was very, you know, good and I've heard that from other people. But then you know there's that person like you, like Ryan. It's it's like you get the you culminate all those emotions and it becomes part of what you need for growth. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone else may do it and be like, yeah, this doesn't help me grow. I don't feel I don't feel right doing right. this and can accept that and 
they don't do it. And that's probably traditionally how it always was. Certain boys were picked out to be the hunters. Certain boys were picked out to be the warriors. Certain boys were picked yep. out to be scouts. Yeah, because of their characteristics. Yes, and their, you yeah. know, it, it, it's it wasn't up. like they every boy was like, okay, you're all going to hunt. Look at my and, sister and I. Yeah. I, I could give my sister a million dollars tomorrow and she would not go hunting. Yeah. You know, we're completely opposite. Yeah. We grew up in the same household with the same parents, you know, with the same, you know, yeah. lifestyle. And, and yet, you know, not to say that my dad maybe didn't, you know, uh, cultivated in me a little more because I was way more of a tomboy than she was. But he probably noticed that yeah. you had from a young age more of a desire than she did. Right. And right? I think and living, she was older, right? So yep, she's the firstborn. So yep. he had time to spend with her and see that that wasn't really her. Yep. Thing. She's really intellectual. She, her thing is she's a wonderful mom. She's mm-hmm. like all about her three kids and she's done a beautiful job of raising three amazing kids. And, uh, that's her passion and the church. She's really involved in her church. And, you know, it's just, it's funny, but I think like having a sister that's so opposite, it does teach you that tolerance we talked about and that, mm-hmm. and that I'm, I have friends who don't hunt. I have a sister, for crying out loud, who I'm close with, who doesn't hunt. And I can respect that as well. And I I, uh, I love my women friends and my sister just as much, whether they hunt or not. And um, I like the uh, variety that I've got, you know, in my friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's important. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, these are all deeper issues. Probably we have a lot more time on our hands to think about these days. <laughs> but as a non-hunter and observing, I I have observed in this population the most caring, wonderful people. And had I not ever just said, okay, I'm going to expose myself to this culture, I I would have gone with what I was always taught, that Mm -hmm. that's just not, those two don't mix. Caring, loving people do not mix with killing things. Right. Basically. Right. And um, I think that that is, unfortunately, has perpetuated itself into culture as well, you know, with the military and this whole idea that, I don't know. There's people that don't like the military, you know, because they do this and that. And people who hunt, they're like evil people. And, you know, and unfortunately, I think it's a media thing. They're, they yeah, for sure. they portray, um, you know, hunters as poachers and all these horrible things. But I've noticed coming in, like, I can say that some of the people I've met in this industry are above and beyond anybody I know. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's maybe because they've faced those things about themselves and they, you know, they, they're, they're more well-rounded. I don't know. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's just an observation of mine, but you know, um, I think that that's, uh, kind of what I've seen in the industry. Yeah. It's interesting too. And, you know, like I've said, the more I've gotten involved with the conservation groups and realizing all the good that hunters, you know, truly do, um, I don't even remember how $1.3 billion, I think, annually a year goes to wildlife conservation. Um, you know, through people don't, another people think, people don't understand the connection of, of hunters being animal lovers. And they also don't understand the, the, the concept that wildlife management in and of itself is because of hunters. You know, uh, people don't know about the Pittman-Robinson Act of 1937, which taxes all guns, ammunition, bows, hunting products. That has a tax built into it. And that tax, oh, geez, I can't even remember. Was it $400 million last year alone that that incise tax um, generated? 
And that, along with our license purchases, uh, tags, ducks, stamps, um, not to mention all of our contributions towards conservation groups where we're raising money at banquets and, you know, across the country. And uh, it, like I say, I think it's $1.3 billion annually. I might be off on that statistic. But in knowing that, that goes towards funding conservation and wildlife management, you know, Department of Natural Resources, uh, Fish and Game Departments here in Montana, their salaries. You know, if uh, like Montana, for example, um, you know, a, a, a deer was taken this year, a mule deer that was found to have chronic wasting disease, which is a really scary disease mm-hmm. for deer because it can wipe out herds. But the money to come, the money that's been donated towards the studies now of taking um, taking live samples, dead dead deer samples, um, is coming from hunters. I know that the Mule Deer Foundation itself wrote a check to the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, as well as part of their budgets from the biology, the biologists that work for the department. They're coming from hunters' dollars. Um, when the you know sheep herd came down with pneumonia and they needed to take out the remaining ones and reallocate and build up another stronger herd, those are hunters' dollars. You know, from hab- excuse me, habitat protection to cron- to burns to you know forest setting aside forests to you know trail maintenance to whatever. There's I could go on and on and on, and a lot of that is funded through hunters' dollars, and that's a huge misconception. It's a huge piece of the wildlife puzzle that a lot of people in this country don't understand. Right? You know, right? They don't get it that we're the ones paying for wildlife management to make sure that that the herds are here for generation after generation, that the predators are not overpopulated in certain areas. The, the argument of nature balances itself out does not, has been proven, does not work. We are infringing on habitat every day, we as humans, exploding in our populations, um, that it doesn't work, uh, you know, certain animals, birds, fish have become extinct. It doesn't simply mat, mat, balance themselves out, especially when there's invasive species like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Just the, the pig issue in the South is a serious issue. It's damaging water systems, food supplies, river systems, um, car accidents alone, millions of dollars every year just in Texas alone from hog vehicle accidents. Um, that invasive species is an epidemic in the South. They've got an, other invasive issues in Florida. Here we have invasive issues of non-invasive wolves and uh, you know predator issues like too many mountain lions in the Bitterroot Valley. There's all these issues that in and of themselves singularly are, are so important. Much less you add them all up together and it, you know, it's like a wildlife conundrum. But, and, and now I'm not even saying that DNR and Fish, Wildlife and Parks have all the answers either. They definitely don't. I don't agree with all the decisions that they make as far as tags. And, you know, they're, they're making, they're a business in and of themselves, right? You can't agree with it all. But all I know is that a lot of talk does nothing. That hunters are the ones putting their dollars to work and actually getting out there. We did, I was two weeks ago, I was at in Salt Lake City with the Mule Deer Foundation and they were doing one of their capture relocation projects where they take mule deer that they've caught in cages in subdivisions where they're getting hit by cars, where people, they're ruining landscaping, getting chased by dogs. There's too many of them. Then their babies are growing up inside the subdivisions. There's too many of them. And so they capture them and they take them way out into the back country and they let them go. And we were part of that a couple of weeks ago and it was fascinating. And while they're, while they're in the cages and captured, we were able to get really important scientific data, tests for chronic wasting disease, um, um, 
temperature testing, all this data uh, that they were gathering, um, they were also inoculating them for lice and ticks. The poor one, poor doe was just absolutely covered in ticks. In mm. and we know about Lyme disease and all that. They were in the subdivision that we captured them, covered in ticks. You know that they're around their dogs. They're in the grasses that the kids are playing. Awesome relocation project. We were up at five a.m. We worked until dark. I didn't see any anti-hunters there. The group of all of us were hunters, you know, volunteering their time. The whole project is all volunteer-based with the Mule Deer Foundation, volunteering their time, their money, their their dollars, their, you know, their hard work. And, you know, I think that that, unfortunately, I try to show that on Skullbone TV a lot, but unfortunately it's missed in mainstream media. Yeah, it just, it, I think it's just too many um, people that don't hunt for that to make it unless it's something negative. I mean right. that's what I that's what I see yep. as as um media, you know. Fortunately though, I think things are changing just by the way media is changing. Yeah. Right. Right. Where people are getting their information or how they're getting educated about things. Right. Um right. and but, that's the beautiful side of social media like we talked about earlier, you know. Yeah. I do you know, I love to you know, I love to discuss where business-wise I think it's going. But in general, I think it has done um, done a very strong service to the hunting community and to getting out our message of clean organic meat, of a healthy lifestyle, of that we truly are animal lovers. I think it has really helped with that too. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to remember that this isn't a new thing, that market hunting and all those things did happen. We have decimated species throughout the generations, and we, you know, North North Americans made a lot of changes in order to stop that. Right. Um, and that around the world, you know, there are still animals being hunted illegally and, you know, taken, but that conservation models are trying to be reached to help those animals. And, you know, what I've learned over, you know, just this short period of time is how conservation adds to that. Right. And hunters add to that, you know, and of course, there's always going to be bad seeds in every piece of fruit. That's right. True. It's just in every profession. Unfortunately, it's just how it is. I mean, yeah. I even see like <laughs> spoofs and memes on hunters making fun of other hunters who are healthy, right? And right. want to be healthy or right. whatever. It's just kind of how it's always going to be, um, unfortunately. But I think it's to remember if you if you want to go back, and I, I think people always come back to this like, oh, you know, Native Americans or uh, whoever you want to say, you know, Vikings or culturally, tribally, however, wherever we all came from, quote unquote, is that animals were a big piece of culture and they were worn and they were appreciated and they were part of it. So, um, you know, I always remember that. I think of the headdresses, I think of the the outfits, you know, of the, the powwow outfits and all these things that that culturally these tribes did and they all revolved around animals. Mm -hmm. And so it's it seems strange to us today to have heads and to have these things in here as a reminder, but that really the animals for most populations were part of, they were there with them, just like these animals are here with you, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's an, important for people to remember that, you know, living in stark Ikea houses is a pretty new thing, right? Right. Right. Without, without being surrounded by animal <coughs> products or leathers and furs and all these kinds of things, mm -hmm. but... I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, anything else? 
No, I could Jana, sit and talk you, with you I know. for hour after hour. I mean, no. I love it. We'll, well have to come back and do another one. Okay, so I'm going to ask you three questions. Okay. I don't know if I asked you this before with Christy. I can't remember. Okay. but um, And we haven't asked anybody of this in a while. Okay, this will be shoot. So um, number one, what is your uh, biggest weakness? Um, that's a good one. <laughs> um, I think... One, I, you know, the one, first one that comes to mind is I'm, I am a people pleaser. Like mm-hmm. I, and not to say that can be a gr- great strength, but it can be a weakness when you don't have time to do everything you want to do for people. Mm-hmm. And so, and then what happens when I say yes to things that I don't have time for is I'm disappointing everybody else. And so I wish I, I wish I was a lot smarter in that and really balancing my life, my time, my energy, you know, and be able to say no to some people a little bit more because I get caught in that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, poor Jim knows it where I just get stressed out sometimes because, you know, I promised, you know, donations and I promised this and I promised that and I promised this for a sponsor and that for a part- partner. Oh, I told my friend I'd do that and, you know, on, on, on. And not just, of course, it's always wonderful to be helpful, but Sometimes I I just I'm too much of a people pleaser. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we all have that problem, I think, especially I in this culture sometimes. So, what's your um? And I do think I asked you these before. Oh, I'm kind of afraid Christy, of the dark kinda, too, which is really funny. You're afraid of the dark. Yep, pretty much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just to add a little mm. bit of interest in there, I it's funny. I bet my neighbors look over here all the time and are like, they never turn their lights off. I never. Oh. There's not a dark room in my house at really? night. Really? Uh-uh. These three lights in the living room are on. Like, there's lights in the other part of the house on. There's always some type of light in the bedroom. I just not that I am afraid of the dark. It's funny to say that, but. I I don't like to wake up and it be in the dark. Um, the only time it's ever dark is when I'm camping because Jim can't stand lights on or anything. Yeah. Like, and I don't have a nightlight on. Is when we're, but I don't I don't like the dark. And I think of mm-hmm. it as a, I hate it because I feel weak. Huh. I feel yeah. Even though I have a gun in like every yeah. See, I'm the exact opposite. I like to be pitch black. Oh really? Yeah, me and my little one like pitch black. My older daughter likes light on, and yeah. Brian could sleep in this room right now with all these lights <laughs> on. He wouldn't even know what was going on. Yeah, I could on, do. Right? So yeah. maybe that's part of it. You don't notice it. When you're out, you're out. Yeah. But I do notice it. It's like I can I can feel when a light is on. Uh-huh. It's like, he's like, close your eyes. And I'm like, I can still see it. That's, per- <laughs> like, that's a really weak answer on my part. What's your biggest weakness? I'm afraid of the dark. That's a <laughs> good one, though. No, I bet there's a lot of people of afraid of the dark out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's your biggest strength? Um, I'm pretty tenacious. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I never, you know, I feel like I'm pretty driven. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the reason we have found the success in Skullbound is that, you know, just keeping after it. Um, maybe I, I mean, I think I'm tenacious, which I think is a good quality, but I'm pretty authentic too. Mm -hmm. I think I'm, I don't really carry any facades that I feel like I've got to keep up. I mean, I might swear a little bit more than I like to when I'm not on camera. <laughs> That's a facade, <laughs> but only because I can't do that, you know. But yeah. uh, but you know, I I think I think of it as a strength because it's something I really appreciate in other people mm-hmm. is authenticity. Um, that you know, I'm pretty. What you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. 
and like it or not, you know, and I tried and I am a people pleaser. I try to make everybody happy, but in the the bottom line is what you see is what you get. I can be a little brass. I can be um, a little hot headed. I'm a right fighter. Jim tells me all the time. Um, but what I, does that mean? You're a right fighter, right? meaning if I, I or you're for the right. No, I'm a like I know I'm right, and I'm going to prove it. Oh, to you. got you. <laughs> right, you're going to fight your right opinion. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Got you. I was on the podcast the other day that I told you Anatomy of the Warrior, and it was talking about being a right fighter. In that, I've really had to like go back to sort of virtues that I respect in other people, and really because in the beginning, when someone used to call me a bad name. Oh, like it would get under my skin and I would write fight it. I'm like, oh, you really? Oh, you think I'm a murderer? Let me tell you what uh, what hunters do. And I'd be like Kermit the Frog, you know, (laughs) on my laptop. (laughs) And then it would just create more stress and more anger. And all of a sudden that stress and anger perpetuates the house and bad energy. And because I'm a right fighter and because I know I'm right and I'm going to tell you how I'm right, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but no, I think I, I, I think I can be a little, uh, you know, brash once in a while, um, but it's because I'm authentic. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. <laughs> totally agree with that. Okay. So, uh, what, what is, what are you most grateful for? Um, oh, I'm grateful for so much. That's a tough one for me to answer. I'm, I'm probably the most grateful that I am able to, um, live my lifestyle the way I want to. I'm the most, I, I live in, I'm a, a, a woman. I live in the greatest country in the world. I have guns in every room of this house. I am able to work as hard as I want in anything that I believe in. And, and half of that is because we live in the United States of America. I've been in a lot of other countries where women are not treated equal, where they're not allowed to pursue their passions. They're not even allowed to speak against their government their religion. Um, they're not allowed to live authentically. Um, and, uh, I think that's probably something a lot of us take for granted. I know every doesn't come to my mind every day, but when it comes to my mind is when I'm like last weekend, emceeing a veteran breakfast at the national wild Turkey Federation in front of hundreds of veterans, all from world war two up into present day. And, uh, you know, men and women who've literally sacrificed life and limb, uh, for this country. And uh, I also have the opportunity to sit around campfires and hear stories from my really good friends that I know these stories are not fabricated. They're not made up. They're not for mainstream media, you know, hype. And I've heard about women, the treatment of women in some of the countries like Afghanistan and Africa and Somalia. And I've heard their stories and it just makes you realize how lucky we have it in this country. So I would say the thing I'm most grateful for is to live an authentic lifestyle in any way that I choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to uh, that's to have the freedoms that we do. Yeah, um, and you never know what could happen, right? Right. So exactly, you got to be grateful for yeah. what you got. I'm grateful for Jim. You know, Jim. Is, yeah, he's great. It's great you guys can work together so well. Yeah, we're that's that we is are, like rare. It is rare, you know. And there are times we want to pull each other's hair out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I'm thankful for to have a man who you know supports my passion so much, and yeah. that's why I try to be really supportive. He's got so, so many other side projects. People don't even know he's a musician. He's a he writes music. He's got his own. 
brand, open the cage. She's working on all these other things that are not anything to do with the hunting world and try to be super supportive of that because he is so supportive of me and, you know, Skullbone TV and every, every project that we're doing. Uh, Julie and I, my good friend Julie, always laugh. We're going to make shirts that say, hashtag Jim, will you take our picture? Because he's constantly <laughs> being supportive in that way. You know, anything our sponsors need, he's the one behind the camera doing it. And I only see him at shows or anywhere dragging those tripods oh, around. Monster tripods, like, huge cameras, with the lighting. camera and yeah. a microphone. I'm like... Yeah. Like, do you always just walk? Is that thing like attached to you? And <laughs> right. like, yeah. And thankfully he loves it. You know, cinematography yeah. is what he is into, which is n- I, I can barely press the on button. You know, it's really funny. And I have no interest in learning. I'm not going to pretend like I love to film because I don't. Right. It's stressful. It's so stressful having to capture the hunt on video. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even look at it like stressful. And to me, when, when once in a while we'll both have tags in our pockets and I'm supposed to film, I'm always like... <gasps> You know, if I catch anything, it's just a win, right? It's a bonus. It's a bonus if I happen to catch anything. And I, luckily, I've have I have captured a, a bit for him. But in you know, cameramen or photographers think it's easy. They capture stuff all the time. Oh, I do it all the time. It's so stressful to me mm-hmm. because if you miss, you miss. Yep. You know, we had a camera go down this year for the first time ever on an antelope hunt, and he didn't get my kill on video. And you know, he was just devastated. And uh, but anyway, no, I'm really thankful for him because he works super hard to make this whole train stay on the tracks, you know, and yeah. thankful for I have a really supportive family. But in general, I'm just, wow, blown away that I get to do what I do, that I, I get to have this platform and that I get to live in this country where really, you know, I uh, I could do whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah. As long yeah. as it's, it's legal and, you know, pursue my passions and. It's not like that everywhere. Mm-mm. Wow. Well, cool. Thanks for inviting us into your home Absolutely. and sharing all your stories with us. And my kids walked in today. They were like, whoa. <laughs> not only just because of the animals, but your house, like our house could fit right here in this section. So my older daughter's like, that's so her dream is a big house. You well, know? She's, she's like, oh, mom, look at this house. You and know? it's not a big house. It's no, just, it's just open. It's, it's got it's this so big ceiling. Open. It's yeah. so open right here. That's yeah. what makes it feel so like open yeah. space. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she's in, she cares about that stuff. She's probably going to be a party planner, like a, <laughs> like a Kimmy Gibbler someday, yeah. or, or she's going to be like a, a designer of some sort. Oh, I, I feel it. like she likes that, the aesthetics. Like she asked you about your yeah kitchen knobs. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even notice them. And like, she asked you about your kitchen knobs. That was oh, oh, one of those <laughs> weird moments. Like, <laughs> and, like, because the funny thing is, no one would know this. I was literally looking on my phone this morning about wanting to change out my kitchen knobs because they're they're nothing special. They're just hand painted. They almost look um they're Spanish. Yeah. Hand painted knobs for my kitchen cabinets. And I was thinking, like, I even Googled this morning unique antler cabinet knobs. That's right. what I get Googled because I thought <laughs> maybe some brass or antlered ones would look cool. And the fact she brought that up today <laughs> is just crazy. Like it's maybe so you crazy. Should keep them. <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to stay up for a little while because she liked them and oh yeah, she's, uh, clearly got an eye. And of all the things right? in this house, right? To like a lot of people's house, that might have been the most standout thing. 
Yeah. But in this house, <laughs> you really got to look to see that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things to look at. That in is here. a girl who pays attention yes, to details. She is a fine detail person. Yeah. So I think yeah. you better keep them. All right. They I'm look gonna, good. Gonna, okay. okay. All right. Thanks, Jenna. <laughs> Thank you. Okay.